1: Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts.
0: Well, great to have you join us today, and we're privileged to have a very special guest join us today in studio. He is the Senior Pastor of Life in Christ International, located in El Cerrito, right here in the Bay Area. He is Pastor Flavio Carvalho. Pastor Carvalho, great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Your church is located, as we mentioned, in El Cerrito, and before we came on the air today, you had shared with me that it's pretty much a multi-ethnic congregation, which I guess for the Bay Area is kind of typical, isn't it? Yes,
1: indeed. One of the greatest compliments someone ever paid to our church is that uh, he came in and uh, it was an evangelist that preached a series of services for us. And uh, he said two things that stuck with me. He said, wow, being here is like being in a U.N. meeting. <laughs> 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 and then he stuck around with us for a while. He stayed at our house and um, he got to know the community. And he said, the aisles of your church are like the aisles of the local grocery store. And I thought that was a great insight. Hmm. We're we're privileged to be a good picture of what our community looks looks like. Part of the
0: emphasis of your church, in addition to outreach, right there in El Cerrito, is also a strong missions-related perspective, which I I would think that every church should have a strong missions-related burden, Uh, the notion of going into all the world and sharing the gospel in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But in the case of your church, um, there's another reason why your heartbeat in particular is strong for missions work, and it's a fascinating part of your own
1: story. Tell us a bit about that and your roots. I'm a product of missions. My parents were pastors... Uh, in Brazil, Rio, Brazil. Then God called them into the mission field. They went to Argentina and Uruguay as missionaries, came back to to Brazil, and then the church in Brazil sent them to California, of all places, (laughs) to be missionaries to the Portuguese-speaking people in California. And that's how my family ended up in America.
0: So you eventually then emigrated from Brazil to Northern California as the product of missions work, which, again, we typically think of missions as United States being missions sending, but the reality is there's a huge opportunity given the makeup, and particularly for a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, given the cultural makeup that we see here. This is literally the missions field in a very true sense. Absolutely,
1: We're so blessed in the Bay Area that the world literally came to us, and so we can preach the gospel to the world without leaving or immediate surroundings. The world has come to us, and that's a great blessing, a great privilege. Now, that doesn't exclude the possibility and and the responsibility to reach the rest of the world and do send out missionaries and so on. But in so many cases, God has sent the mission field to us, and that's an awesome thing.
0: And what a great training ground this is. That not only can help us better understand what it means to reach other cultures, people of different backgrounds from different parts of the world, Um, so not only in terms of of preparatory if God ever calls you to be a missionary or do work overseas, uh, but also to give you a burden to, Mm. to recognize the need of presenting the gospel to other tribes and tongues that the world may know.
1: So let your light shine that the world may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in Amen. heaven.
0: At, at what point in your life, having
1: been raised in the church, uh,
0: being the son of missionaries to the United States, did you begin feeling that God was beginning to call you into the ministry?
1: I was 16 years old, and um, I told God in prayer, God, I know you have a plan in my life, and I intend to fulfill it. I literally prayed this prayer, and I said, um, my plan is to be an engineer. I'm going to. Call, I was a, at 16. I was a junior in high school. I said, "God, I'm going to start looking at colleges. I'm going to apply. I want to be an engineer. I'll be faithful in church. I'll be involved in church. I'll be singing in a choir. Maybe teaching Sunday school. Um, but that's the plan. If you have a different plan, let me know. And within four weeks of that prayer, my parents had an evangelist come and preach a series of services at our church. He hadn't seen me in 10 or 12 years. And God used him to speak to me. And, and he looked at me in the eyes and said, God is calling you into the ministry. And God is saying to you, if you'll take care of his sheep, he will take care of you. And, he, he, and nobody knew. I, I didn't even tell my parents about this prayer I had prayed just four weeks before. And it was such one of those divine interventions, those God moments in life. It it shifted uh, the course of my life, and I knew right then and there that I was going into the ministry, uh, pastoral ministry. Every Christian is in ministry, every believer is a minister. But I knew right then and there that God is, was calling me into a pastoral ministry, and so from high school I went to a, a Bible college, and from Bible college I went to seminary, and and. and right into ministry.
0: You've been pastoring for, we mentioned uh, visiting before we came on the air today for some 27 years now, 24 of it in El Cerrito. Uh, But there is, you're you're bivocational. So there's another part of the story. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to the burden that God placed on your heart to be involved in ministry full-time, pastoring
1: specifically, uh, he led you into another field, though. Tell us about that. Yes. Now, people often go from a... uh, a profession um, so called secular profession, and i don 't like that title. I think all professions are sacred if they are done unto the Lord, but uh, to use the, the the popular terminology, people go from secular professions into ministry. In my case, it was slightly different. I went into ministry right off the bat and i 've been in ministry for twenty seven years i have I have always had a fascination with the law, always been interested in it, read about it. Helped people with legal problems you know, informally. Um, I have relatives who are uh, attorneys. And um, at about, um, what, about 10, 12 years ago, I felt released by the Holy Spirit to pursue um, a law degree and, and to practice law. The church was well established by then, the ministry was well established. My kids were old enough that I had some, some time. And um, my wife and I looked at each other. We talked about it. We prayed about it. We felt the green light from the Lord, and I went to law school and into um, practice of law, which I'm doing right now.
0: And there is a, a strong degree, and let's talk about this, because the sense of, of marketplace evangelism um, is an issue that I'm very passionate about. Absolutely. And I concur with you. We, we sometimes wish to delineate ministry-related professions with secular professions, as if one is divided from the other. One gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to minister, and the other one somehow is just about making money, when in reality, we look at the majority of the apostles all had secular, quote-unquote, jobs, Mm -hmm. were all engaged in some degree early on of marketplace evangelism.
1: Absolutely.
0: And if every individual, every believer in Jesus is called to be of service to the Lord as part of the Great Commission, then how can we but but not see what God has called us to do in our day-to-day profession as a
1: missions That's right.
0: or ministry
1: opportunity? Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's no middle ground. And... He is Lord of all. And it's a wonderful thing to walk into your profession, whatever that profession is, and to understand Jesus is Lord in this arena of life, and I'm his ambassador here. And,
0: you know, the funny thing is to put perspective on this. Some people say, well, but pastor, you're involved in full-time ministry work. In addition to your tent making, Craig, you're on a Christian radio station. But there's a degree, there's an argument that would say a lot of what we do preaches to the choir. That's right. And yet the individual that, for example, is working as a teacher in a public classroom or working as a bus driver or a police officer or whatever your chosen profession, you are surrounded by people in the mission field every single day and looking at particularly a region like the San Francisco Bay Area with 4% that ever go to church. You're looking at individuals in a mission field that the likelihood is that 90 to 95% of the people that you come in contact with every single day do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So who's got the stronger opportunity in terms of the mission field? (laughs) I I would say that the person in the marketplace has Mm -hmm. been called to such a unique and wonderful area. Where it is literally, the fields, as, as Scripture tells us, are, are white unto harvest.
1: That's right. Go into all the world. That's, that's the, the directive. Go into all the world. That means everywhere we go in whatever we do, we represent Christ. We love people. We let God's light shine through us and his wisdom speak through us to people. And, uh, Craig, I was, because the Lord planned my life in such a way, I spent most of my life within the Christian community. I was raised by Christian parents. I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. Now, not everybody at college were studying for the ministry. There were other majors. We were actually a minority at the college I attended, but it was a Christian college. We had devotions every morning and so on and so forth. My professors were great, well-educated men, but godly men and women. Um, So I went to a Christian college. Then I went to seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary. I'm, I'm surrounded by people. Uh, it who are who share my faith, and I'm working at a church as a pastor or a youth pastor in um, in various uh, positions I, I I took over the course of the years. Anyways, most of my life was spent within the Christian community, praise God for that. But when God allowed me to go into the law profession, all of a sudden I stepped into the secular arena in a way that I hadn't before, and. Uh, if it didn't benefit anyone else, and I hope it did, I hope I was a light to them, but it benefited me. It opened my eyes to a world that I, I had very little interaction with. Um, and part of our problem as a church and as a Christian community is often we're answering questions that are no longer being asked. Mm-hmm. But to be sitting there and, and hearing the heartbeat of the world and understanding that Christ is the answer to their questions, it was, it was it was just refreshing. And it, it expanded my world.
0: Do we tend to compartmentalize our Christianity to the point where we're not effective? In marketplace evangelism? And I ask that question because oftentimes we see the Sunday church experience is what we do for God on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday we go back living our lives for ourselves. We're reticent to talk about our faith in the marketplace because, well, somebody might not understand, we might offend them, or perhaps we're, as you said uh, so aptly, we're answering questions that they're no longer asking. What of that? How can the church do a better job? In terms of more effectively integrating the totality of our relationship with Christ and our experience in the church on Sunday and pull that into
1: our Monday through Saturday experience. I think one of the first things we need to do is do away with some of our preconceived notions about the world and about unchurched people. And to begin to understand that human beings are human beings. We all have the same longings. And... God placed in all of us a desire for a relationship with him. All of us want to be loved. All of us want to be appreciated. And all of us need a relationship with God. And through Jesus Christ, God made a way for all that to happen for every human being. So if we stop thinking of the world as us against them and they against us, and just understand, human beings, God created us all. God loves us all. For God so loved the world. Not just the church, not just me, but the world. Every single person in the world that whosoever believes in him can have everlasting life. And we just look at people as people who need Jesus. People need the Lord. And we just live out our faith. And, now, you know, the core value of our faith is love. God is love. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And we, if we just purpose in our hearts, Holy Spirit, with your help, I intend to do that today to every person I meet. I want to love you in front of them and love them in front of you. you know, that, that will revolutionize our lives. And that's what I, I try to do. That's, that's my approach. There is some
0: excuse-making going on here. There is a huge theological disconnect that would suggest if people that we are around Monday through Saturday, are unchurched, that they must have chosen to be unchurched. And Mm -hmm. therefore, if they have chosen to be unchurched, far be it from me to try and, as the typical phrase goes, force my religion on them. Yes. Not only is that theologically way out of bounds, (laughs) it it also demonstrates, as as I suggest, a a huge amount of um, excuse making. Almost to the point where it, it demonstrates our, our utter failure at understanding what it's about to be makers of disciples of Christ. Uh, talk to that point, would you? The church website addresses this issue as well in terms of the passion of your ministry to make disciples of Jesus Christ. What
1: exactly does that mean? Well, as we understand it, Our call is to live out our lives before the world. So let your light shine that the world might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Um, People often say that we owe the world an exposition to the gospel. I'd rather say we owe them an experience with the gospel, an experience with Christ. Live out your faith. Live out your convictions. Talk about them naturally, not as talking points, but Jesus is the most important person in my life, so naturally he's going to come up in my conversation. And interesting, the world uses you know Jesus Christ as, as um, uh, you know, things happen, and they say, Jesus Christ, I instead of being offended, I use that as an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ and say, yeah, let's pray right now. Let's talk to Jesus Christ. You just mentioned his name. Why don't we pray to him? Use the opportunities to share your faith in a natural way let your light shine. When when bad things happen, face them, admit them, talk about them, pray about them. Whether it's something bad that happened to you or to your neighbor, life happens. But Jesus is Lord over all of life, good and bad, good days and bad days. So you just live through them with people and let them see your
0: faith at work. That sense of lifestyle evangelism, I'll call it for perhaps want of a better term, um, And I think we're making a huge distinction here. Some people think evangelism is something that you turn off and turn on. Right, right. I'm going to now share with you the four spiritual laws, and now I'm (laughs) done. I'm going to invite you to church on Sunday or to a crusade, and then I'm done. Evangelism at the heart is not something that we turn off or on. We see it as a state of doing, but in a sense it's almost a state of being. Absolutely. In the sense that if if you are letting your light shine – People are going to notice there's something different about you and will be attracted to that. And I think it draws a distinction as well. If you ask the average non-believer out there, tell me about Christians, they will immediately launch a laundry list of all the things. Oh, I know you, Christians, you're against sex before marriage, you don't like that. And they go through this list of all the things that they perceive we are against. Right. And then would we'll say, okay, that's fair. Now tell us what we're for. Dead silence. Yes. We do Blank a good faces. job when it comes to negative evangelism. We do a good job on occasion of turning that switch off and on, but the lifestyle, living it out daily, and so letting your light shine before men, is something the church struggles with, doesn't it?
1: That's right. Expose people to the love of God, expose people to the wisdom of God. That's available to us through Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the written word. The book of Proverbs is just full of truth. And if you just experience that truth, live that truth, talk about that truth, share that truth, truth is attractive. Truth has a pull of its own, truth will stand up to, to the rise to the occasion. And stand up to criticism. See, so you just speak the truth. You know, this is what the Bible says. And you don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be preachy. You don't have to be pointing fingers. You don't have to raise your voice. You just speak naturally and let it flow. And expose people to the power of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders would follow, Jesus said. So pray for the sick. If people are in crisis, pray for that situation. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Ask people for permission. May I pray for you? looks to me like you're in pain. Would you mind if I say a word of prayer for you? Rare is the
0: individual who once asked, may I pray for you, on the heels of word about a son that's dealing with drugs Mm -hmm. and an addiction or a marriage that's in the middle of crisis or sickness, a car accident, some illness that's visited a family, challenging problems in, from an economic standpoint. Whatever life brings, rare is the person that you would ask and say, may I pray for you, that would say absolutely not. That's you right. might catch the occasional hardline atheist here in the Bay Area that would say absolutely not, but rare is that And person. I've had
1: it happen to me, but you're right, it is very rare. Very rare, maybe two or three times in my lifetime.
0: But i tell you what I have seen happen
1: opportunities
0: to ask someone to pray for them, to pray with them, and to have them come back a day or two later and say, you're not going to believe what happened. That's right. My mother made a complete turnabout. The doctors don't understand what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wait for it. Well, we did pray the other day. Yes. Wow. And all of a sudden now, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has opened up an opportunity for you to share the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with that individual, I think we would see a different culture about us if the church would be more engaged in lifestyle evangelism mm-hmm. in workplace evangelism as we've been discussing well let's face it there's a, there's a, an easy road to criticize and say so much evil in the world around us pick up the newspaper any given day read what's online it's all darkness and evil we are overwhelmed by darkness mm-hmm. but if you think about it is it really a abundance of darkness that is challenging us or is it a lack of of light. If you walk into the house at night and all the lights are off, you say, gee, it's dark in here. What's mm-hmm. the first thing you do? You dispel the darkness by going to the light switch or the lamp, and you turn on that light, and you dispel the darkness. The darkness immediately flees. That's right. How is it that we as the church miss the spiritual example in this by understanding it's not that there's an abundance of darkness. It's that there's a lack of light.
1: That's right. And we're not called to save the world. We're called to love the world and be a light. The saving is done by the Holy Spirit. So we do our part by by being who we are, children of God, by being the light, by being who we're called to be, people who love God and who love our neighbor. And then let the Holy Spirit work out the details. He'll do it. He's capable of doing it. He saved me. He saved you. He'll save our neighbor as well. He'll save our loved ones as well. If We'll just let him.
0: And for a new believer, um, in terms of starting with the basics, people say, well, I, I started with Genesis, and by the time I got to Exodus and Leviticus, boy, I'm really confused. What's the best <laughs> approach for a new believer who wants to understand this exciting new adventure that they're on and begin to uncover more about the character and the
1: personality of Jesus Christ? I tell people, start with the Gospel, meet Jesus, meet Jesus. I heard someone say, a great pastor said once, uh, Jesus is the answer to every question, and if he's not your answer, you're asking the wrong question. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of like that. Um, Go to the Gospels and meet Jesus. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the Gospel of John is the most intimate of the four. That's where we find Jesus meeting people one-on-one. So that's a great place to start. Then go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke. Read those. And and again, just get acquainted with Jesus. By the way, I recommend find a faithful translation, but one that is understandable to you at your level. So I love, for instance, the, the contemporary English version. It's not a very popular version, but it just speaks in plain language, plain English. Now, my study Bible is the New King James because I grew up with the King James, and the New King James gets, gets rid of the these and thous and, and it's, it's comfortable. Um, I, I was blessed with, with some seminary training, so I can take a look at uh, the Hebrew and Greek to some extent. I'm no expert, but, and that's helpful. But the place to start is a, uh, a, a translation that speaks where you are. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is the, the word for common Greek. Common Greek, not classical Greek. The New Testament was written in common Greek. Why? Because God wanted everybody to understand what he had to say. And so find a common translation where you can understand what is being said and allow it to speak to you. The Holy Spirit will take it from there.
0: And then, of course, as you mentioned, getting into a solid Bible teaching church. Where you can be exposed to fellowship with other believers, be exposed to the proclamation and preaching of God's word, and um, if you're certainly up in the El Cerrito area, we invite you to check out Life by in all Christ all means. Church. Come by, located at ten. 936 San Pablo Avenue in El Cerrito. Information, again, available on the web at lifeinchristministry.org. That's lifeinchristministry.org. If you are elsewhere in the Bay Area, you'd like to have a recommendation for a solid Bible teaching church near where you live or work, go to the KFAX website. All kinds of resources available there, including our church directory at kfax.com. Pastor, we appreciate you taking time to come in, share a bit of your story, uh, share some from the Word today. Thanks so much for the time. Glad to be here. Again, information available about the church at lifeinchristministry.org. Thank
1: you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information about this week's highlighted ministry is available at kfax.com. Until next time, God bless